Good evening and welcome. We're very glad that you've been able to join us. Uh, this is the broadcast of the July monthly meeting of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony. And we do appreciate your fellowship and your support with us uh, this evening. We're going to sing uh, a great hymn of praise at the outset of the service. It is the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning uh, with thee. So the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, as in previous broadcasts, uh, the words will come up on the screen. And we do want to encourage you to join in the praise and the worship just wherever uh, you're watching the broadcast uh, from uh, tonight. So let's sing uh, the hymn together, please.
We're going to seek the Lord together just in prayer. We recognize we need the Holy Spirit to come and guide us tonight, guide us through the meeting. We need his help, his enabling. And we especially need the help of the Holy Spirit when we come uh, to the study of the Scriptures. So let's lift our hearts uh, to the Lord, and we encourage you to pray as well. Uh, We encourage you just to lift your heart to the Lord uh, just now and pray that the Lord will bless this meeting and bless you as you hear uh, the broadcast. Heavenly Father, we, we draw aside into thy presence. We thank you for the opportunity to seek thee. We praise thee that we can approach the throne of grace. Lord, we come to thee uh, this evening with the request of the disciples of old. Uh, teach us to pray. We're conscious of our need of our weakness our feebleness especially when we approach thee in the attitude of prayer. Our desire, Father, is that you'll lead us on in the Christian life, that you'll lead us on with thyself, uh, lead us on in our prayer lives. We ask thee to strengthen our prayer lives, and we pray that in these days you'll strengthen the prayer life of the Church of Christ. We want to pray, Father, that you'll pour out the spirit of prayer uh, mightily upon us. We ask that we'll see Uh, prayer answered in our day and in our generation. We pray that it will be evident to us that God is hearing and answering uh, the prayers of his people. Thank you for the words of the hymn that that we have sung together, the blessing uh, that that this hymn has been to us, uh, not just this evening, but uh, on many occasions in the past. And Lord, we're glad that we can acknowledge today uh, your greatness the greatness of your power, the greatness of your provision, and especially in the words of the hymn writer, uh, the greatness of your faithfulness. We can say uh, with your servant Jeremiah of old that your mercies are new every morning, and great is thy faithfulness. And Lord, we have acknowledged that, and we have experienced it uh, again today. We have known thee to bless us today. We've known thee, uh, Father, to provide for us. Your goodness and mercy have followed us again this day of our lives. So we want, Father, to to worship Thee. We want to bow down before Thee and give to Thee alone uh, the praise and the worship of our hearts. And our desire, Father, is that as You're faithful uh, to us, help us in return to be faithful to Thee. We think of the dark days in which we're found. Lord, keep us uh, faithful to the blood and to the book. Keep us faithful in our walk with God. Pray that our lives will stand out uh, for thee. We remember uh, your servant Enoch and the wicked, ungodly days in which he lived, even as they're described in the little epistle of Jude. And Lord, we remember how the Scriptures record uh, that he walked with God. And Lord, help us uh, to follow in the footsteps of your servant, even in these wicked and dark days, this dark end-time age, in which we are found. We pray that you'll keep us uh, faithful, draw us closer uh, to thyself, give us a closer walk. And we pray, Father, that that others will take knowledge of us, that we have been with Jesus. Pray that our lives would stand out in the darkness, that you'll enable us to let our light so shine before men that they might see our good works and thereby glorify our Father which is in heaven. Thank you for the witness of the sovereign grace Advent testimony. We thank you, Father, for your faithfulness uh, to us in the ministry. 
uh, now for over a hundred years. Thank you for the provision that you've made. Thank you for your faithfulness, even through these uh, days of pandemic, the lockdown and the restrictions. We thank you, Father, for opening up a, a, a great door whereby uh, the meetings can, can continue and the word of God has been going forth, uh, even to the blessing of many. We thank you for enabling us uh, to reach and to bless more people uh, with the messages. Uh, month by month, we can see your goodness, your provision, uh, your faithfulness in that, and we want to praise thee, uh, Father, for it. Uh, bless the testimony as a whole. Remember our secretary. Remember the members of committee, our trustees, and all the work and responsibilities that they have. We pray for wisdom. Pray for the blessing of God uh, to be upon our labors. We pray that the work will progress. We want to pray, Father, that there will be a greater interest uh, in the Word of God in these days. And especially we pray for a, a greater interest in the prophetic scriptures. We know that the coming of the Lord uh, draweth nigh. And our prayer, Father, would be, even so come, uh, Lord Jesus. We pray that you'll help us to live in such a way that we'll not be ashamed uh, before him at his coming. We remember your servant that will minister to us this evening. Uh, bless our brother, Pastor Shaw. How we thank you for him. Thank you for his support uh, of the witness over many years, his ministry at these meetings. We want to pray that he will know the enabling, the anointing, the power of the Holy Ghost as he speaks to us tonight. We pray that uh, you'll speak through him. We want to pray, Father, uh, that he will come to us with a word from God, a word in season, uh, even for uh, this time. We thank you for prayer answered for his dear wife, uh, for your good hand that has been upon her. Thank you, Father, for the recovery in her health. We thank you, Father, uh, for your good hand that has rested upon her sister, and we want to pray uh, that that will continue uh, even in the days that lie ahead. We commend our brother and our sister just into your hands and pray that You'll continue uh, to use them uh, in thy service and give them uh, much fruit uh, for their labors. So we're just asking, Father, abide with us. We remember those that went to Emmaus, that Jesus himself uh, drew near and went with them. We ask, Father, that that will take place this evening. All that are listening to this broadcast from various places, that they'll know the presence of the Savior, that they'll know the Savior himself uh, drawing graciously, uh, and specially near. We pray that his presence will be uh, a particular uh, blessing uh, this evening. Lord, what a mercy that would be, just to, to know your presence and to hear your voice. So we ask you just to hear and answer these are prayers. We offer them in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to read together in the Word of God. Uh, the Scripture reading is found in the book of Habakkuk. Uh, we're reading in all three chapters uh, of the book of Habakkuk. Uh, first of all, we're going to read the first four verses of the first chapter, and then it's the first three verses of uh, the second chapter, and then we're going to read all of uh, the third chapter. So reading, first of all, Habakkuk chapter 1, beginning at uh, the first verse, and let us hear the word of the Lord, we pray. We'll know the Lord's help in the reading. We pray that the reading of God's Word will be clear. Um, we're praying that even as we read the Word of God, uh, the Lord will speak to us and teach us from uh, the Scriptures. 
Habakkuk 1, verse 1, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt uh, not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore, the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Then we're turning over to uh, chapter 2, uh, the first verse, just the first three verses of the second chapter. The prophet goes on to tell us here, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. And then coming to the third chapter, the final chapter of the prophecy, beginning to read again at the, the first verse. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet upon Shigianoth, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. And his brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of his hand, and there was the hiding of his power. Before him went the pestilence, and burning coals went forth at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He beheld and drove asunder the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered, the perpetual hills did bow, his ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of cushion in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was the Lord displeased against the rivers? Was thine anger against uh, the rivers? Was thy wrath against the sea, that thou didst ride upon thine horses and thy chariots? of salvation. Thy bow was made quite naked, according to the oaths of the tribes, even thy word, Selah. Thou didst cleave the earth with rivers. The mountains saw thee, and they trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered his voice, and lifted up his hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation, 
at the light of thine arrows they went, and at the shining of thy glittering spear. Thou didst march through the land in indignation. Thou didst thresh the heathen in anger. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people, even for salvation with thine anointed. Thou woundest the head out of the house of the wicked by discovering foundation unto the neck, Selah. Thou didst strike through with his staves the head of his villages. They came out as a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was as to devour the poor secretly. Thou didst walk through the sea with thine horses, through the heap of great waters. When I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds' feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instrument. So closing our reading there, the end of chapter 3, at the close of the prophecy, and we pray that the Lord will be pleased to follow with his blessing. That's the public reading of his word. We just at this stage of the meeting want to make the necessary announcements. We take the opportunity to thank you again sincerely uh, for listening to the broadcast. Uh, We want you to know that we're very encouraged uh, by that. We're very thankful for your support. We have received uh, messages generally every month. Uh, We've been receiving messages about these uh, broadcasts that have encouraged us. We've been encouraged that we've been able to reach uh, more people or that Uh, More people uh, beyond the greater London area have been able to hear the the services and hear the broadcasts and especially hear the Word of God. It's been encouraging uh, that quite a number of folk in other lands as well have been able to join uh, these monthly meetings when previously uh, that was uh, not possible. So all of that has been a blessing and an encouragement to us. We thank you for those messages Uh, those of you that have sent them in, and do feel free to keep in touch with us. Uh, The the feedback is always uh, very helpful uh, to us. Just to make uh, some publications known to you, we remind you again about our magazine, quarterly magazine, four times a year, watching and waiting, uh, five pounds uh, per year. If, If you're not already on the mailing list, we'd encourage you to contact our secretary as soon as possible. You can order a quantity, a number of copies 
if you'd like to give them out in your church or your fellowship as well or distribute them uh, to your friends. This is the July to September edition 2021. Just to highlight that there's uh, an article in it by Pastor John Hunt Lynn. Uh, Pastor Lynn was the first chairman uh, of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony. Uh, He served in uh, that capacity from 1918 until his homecoming in 1941. Uh, The article that has been published this month is an outline that he gave on the prophecy of Zephaniah. I would especially encourage you to read that, to study it uh, before the autumn conference, as Zephaniah will be uh, one of the subjects, uh, the testimony of Zephaniah, one of the subjects uh, at the autumn uh, conference. There's also a full list of recent publications. Uh, The Lord has helped us uh, over the last year, year and a half or so, even through the restrictions uh, to produce uh, a number of very helpful uh, publications. Uh, Remember that the the latest edition of the Bound Volumes, this is uh, volume 29 of The Watching and Waiting, priced nine pounds. Remember there's a special offer on these, that you can have three of them for 20 pounds, or uh, that special offer applies to some of the back issues. We have eight back issues or bound volumes in total, so you can have any three of them uh, for £20, or if you'd like all eight of them, uh, it will just cost you uh, £50. So it is very profitable to have the back issues, to be able to look back uh, over those magazines and the articles that have been previously uh, published, and again, uh, the benefit of studying those again. So we, we commend uh, the bound volumes uh, to you. In addition, keep in mind that we have been able to republish Miss Guy's uh, booklet, Concordance, uh, The Prophecy, and also the articles that we're in watching and waiting, Where is Europe Heading? Both of these uh, booklets uh, are pound fifty each, or there is a special offer uh, for wider circulation. We want to encourage you uh, to buy a quantity of them, even a small quantity of them, uh, to distribute. So you can have five copies uh, for five pounds, or you can have 20 copies uh, for uh, 20 pounds. So do get in touch, or sorry, that's 20 copies for uh, 15 uh, pounds. Do get in touch with our secretary, and he will be very happy at the earliest opportunity uh, to send those out to you. Uh, Just a little series that uh, has been very helpful, uh, both whenever these messages were delivered and the recordings went out, and uh, also it has received a wider circulation since we've been able to put them into print. It is Bible Lands and Bible Light. This was the monthly series back in 2012, God's Purpose for Various Nations uh, there in the Middle East, especially in the future, uh, the part that they will play or the place uh, that they will have in the unfolding of the prophetic scriptures at the time of the end. So there's 12 of them in total, Syria, Iraq, Iran, uh, the British Isles, Egypt, Lebanon, Gaza, Jordan, Greece, uh, Libya, uh, Israel future, and Israel uh, past. So we commend those to you. They're just 40 pence each or you can have the whole series uh, posted out to you uh, for four pounds. And they are very helpful. They're a very profitable study. 
uh, we want to encourage you to have them. We, we'd like to encourage you uh, to help us even in distributing them uh, to others uh, as, as well. So please remember all the publications. It is a, a major and an important part of our ministry. We want to help and support the Lord's people in their study of the Word of God, especially their study of the prophetic scriptures. That's the reason why uh, we take the time, we go to the expense of publishing uh, the literature. We're not in the business of wanting to make money. We just want to help uh, the Lord's people in their understanding of uh, the scriptures. There's a full list of our publications on the website, www.sgat.org. So take the time uh, to visit the website and uh, to look over uh, the full range of publications that we have uh, available. Just for a few minutes, uh, by way of uh, Chairman's remarks, I want to highlight uh, to you uh, Dr. Adolf Sapphire and his life and his ministry, and especially emphasize to you uh, the latest book that we've been able to publish, which is his exposition of uh, the book of Hebrews. Dr. Sapphire came from a Jewish family. Uh, they lived in Budapest in Hungary, uh, way back in uh, the first half of uh, the 19th century. They came to Christ, the family, uh, the, the Sapphire family, uh, were converted from Judaism to Christ uh, through the ministry of uh, the Scottish Jewish Mission uh, in Budapest. Dr. John Duncan, or Dr. Rabbi Duncan, as he was affectionately known, particularly when he uh, was professor of Hebrew and Old Testament studies at the New College in Edinburgh. He had gone out as a missionary to the Jewish people in Budapest. Uh, Dr. Sapphire's father, uh, Israel Sapphire, he had a desire uh, to, to learn English. So he went along to the meetings of the Scottish Jewish Mission so that he could uh, develop his ability and his understanding of the English language. And it was there uh, that they heard the gospel of Christ. And young Adolf, in his 12th year, was the first member uh, of the family uh, to come to Jesus Christ as Savior, come into the, to the light of the gospel. Whenever Dr. Uh, Duncan was going back to Scotland uh, to take up his professorship in the new college, uh, Dr. Adolf Sapphire's father uh, thought that young Adolf uh, should go with uh, Dr. Duncan. He wanted him to, to further his education, uh, particularly uh, to prepare him for the work of uh, the ministry in later years. There is a picture, a color picture, in the front of this book that we've been able to publish courtesy of the Free Church of Scotland. We want to thank them uh, for that. Uh, we want to uh, thank them for supplying the picture and their willingness for us uh, to use it. Uh, it's a picture of uh, the Great Disruption. If you look down at the front of that picture, you'll see a little lad. And it is understood that that lad was uh, Dr. Sapphire. He's near to uh, Dr. Rabbi Duncan. Uh, it was not long after uh, that he arrived in Scotland uh, that that uh, picture uh, was taken. So that's a, a special feature uh, of, of this book. There is a short biography uh, at, at the beginning of the book. 
uh, the tales in, in summary, uh, Dr. Sapphire's life, and gives you some indication of his ministry and the influence uh, that he bore uh, while he was here. Whenever he finished his theological education in 1854, he had a burden to work among the Jewish people as a missionary. He was strongly recommended uh, to the Irish Presbyterian Church here in Northern Ireland as a missionary for the Jews. The great contender for the faith, Dr. Henry Cook, was the acting moderator uh, of the presbytery uh, in Belfast at that particular time. And he spoke very favorably of the young uh, Adolf Sapphire, and he was ordained. Uh, and I emphasize that there is the Northern Ireland connection here. Uh, Dr. Sapphire was ordained to the work of the ministry by the Belfast Presbytery of the Irish uh, Presbyterian Church. He ministered in four Presbyterian churches uh, in England, and it was uh, while he was at Notting Hill in London that he delivered the lectures that are contained uh, within this book. Uh, they were delivered through two winters, 1873 to 74, and then 1874 to 1875. They were delivered on Thursday mornings uh, to large and varied congregations, people from various denominations, even some people of note uh, in London at that particular time uh, came to hear those lectures, and they were a great blessing. They were very, very profitable. In all, Dr. Sapphire uh, published uh, 16 significant works uh, during his life and ministry, but in addition to that, uh, many other shorter articles and also tracts uh, particularly tracts in defense of the gospel and tracts that were used in uh, the evangelization of uh, the Jewish uh, people. Dr. Gavin Carlyle, who was the biographer of Dr. Sapphire, said of this volume that in these lectures he traced out with great power and often originality the close connection of the Old and the New Testament uh, dispensations. So that's a a very clear uh, recommendation. So we want to commend this book uh, to you. Uh, there's a lot of time and work that has gone into uh, the republication of it. There's also a picture. It's on the back dust cover. It's included inside uh, the book at the end of the biography of we as well. A picture of uh, Dr. Sapphire. It's a picture that is printed uh, with permission of the, Na the National Portrait Gallery uh, in London. Uh, we do appreciate the help of the National Portrait Gallery, uh, their willingness to, to supply us uh, with a copy uh, of that. Uh, we, we feel that it is enhanced and it is added to this book uh, considerably. And the very fact that there is a portrait uh, of Dr. Sapphire in the National Portrait Gallery shows uh, the significance, the importance of his life and his ministry during uh, the period uh, of Victorian uh, England. So we want to bring those things uh, to your attention. They all add to the value, the importance uh, of this volume. It's just priced uh, 18 pounds. As I said earlier, we're not in the business of wanting uh, to make money. Uh, we want to make it as widely available as is possible. And there is a special offer uh, for all ministers and theological students. So if you fall into that category and you would uh, like a copy of the book, uh, get in touch with us, and we'll be able to make the details of that known to you. Contact our secretary, 
or if you live here in Northern Ireland, contact myself directly. I have a quantity of them here and would be uh, happy uh, to provide you with a copy or copies as is required. Just to mention, there's some other publications that we do stock uh, by Dr. Sapphire that you may be interested in. That's Christ in Israel, and also uh, his uh, very able work on the divine unity of Scripture, and also what is implied in preaching uh, Christ. So as this is our latest uh, publication, we felt it would be helpful just to give uh, a little bit of uh, the history, uh, a little bit of the life, the biography of uh, Dr. Sapphire, because he was a converted Jew, because of that background and uh, the insights that he was able to bring, his understanding of uh, Jewish things, it, it really makes uh, this volume very helpful, very enlightening, very uh, valuable indeed. So we want, on behalf of our committee and our trustees, to commend uh, this new volume uh, to you. The speaker at our meeting this evening is Pastor Ian Shaw uh, from the Dundee area of northern Scotland. Uh, Mr. Shaw, uh, for quite a number of years, has been a trustee of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony, and we, appreci we appreciate his support and uh, his labours taking on that responsibility. And he has also spoken uh, very faithfully and ably at these meetings, these monthly meetings, uh, for many years, and we're thankful for that and the help and the blessing that his ministry has been. Uh, we're also very glad uh, to hear that Mrs. Shaw has recovered well, uh, that she's doing much better as far as her health is concerned. We're encouraged by that as we were singing earlier about the Lord's faithfulness, and we're glad that her sister has experienced that. So we want to uh, encourage you to continue to pray uh, for her sister, that she'll uh, continue to know the Lord's good hand uh, resting upon her. The subject this evening that Pastor Shaw will speak upon is the testimony of Habakkuk. But just before he brings that message to us, uh, we're going to sing again, lift our hearts to the Lord in praise. It's the hymn, Lamb of God, thou, thou now art seated high upon thy Father's uh, throne. So let's uh, sing these words together uh, to the Lord's glory.
like to thank uh, Mr McMillan and uh, our chairman for the words of uh, welcome, kind words of welcome, and also for reading the selected scriptures this afternoon. I would also like to thank the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony for extending to me another opportunity to bring our Lord's Word at, this e at these evening meetings. Once again, I'm speaking to you remotely uh, from the heart of uh, Perthshire in Scotland and uh, we, we just uh, are thankful that uh, we have the means uh, who, uh, and people who have the technology to use this medium both uh, I thank the, those uh, at this end who have helped me in this recording and those in Ulster who have all the technical know-how to make these uh, messages and recordings possible. So thank you to all. I want to make a little introduction tonight. Um, for the last 18 months we have as a SJT been having meetings on the prophets of the end times. These have been richly blessed to myself. I have gone through them all and enjoyed them all. They have ministered to my soul and been a blessing to my heart. And I would encourage others, if you ever have the opportunity to, to use these, to redeem the time, take a couple of hours, take a recording and go out and have a good walk and listen to these messages and have your soul blessed while you're walking. I've gone through in this past 18 months of the pandemic all of the messages uh, on the SGAT, all 212 of them, and I would encourage the SGAT committee to put even more on so that we might have greater uh, variety. My subject this evening is Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk one of the minor prophets. Now, I noticed that um, in the early years that I went down to SGAT, I spoke also on this prophet. It was in 1995, and the message was subsequently uh, contained, along with the other messages, in a book published by the SGAT on Israel and the Nations. And it was good for me again to read through that message and, uh, and to be blessed with those things, a number of which I had forgotten. Um, and it was good also to see that in the intervening time of 26 years, uh, that my own uh, maturity in understanding uh, the simple, straightforward understanding of Scripture um, has deepened my convictions, um, uncertainties have vanished, and clarity has prevailed. And I can only thank my gracious Lord for his work of uh, maturity in my Christian life. I would like us now to commit this meeting to our Lord's honour. Let us pray. Almighty God, our eternal Heavenly Father. We thank thee, Lord, that this evening thou hast given to us the time and the opportunity, the desire to 
listen to your word. Oh Lord, we just pray that thou would be glorified this night, that thou might be lifted up, that thou might be honoured, because thou art the author of all these things. Thou art the one who has inspired thy servant Habakkuk, and that thou hast given to him the very message that thou would have us to understand. Draw near to us now, Lord. Give thy servant help that this might be proclaimed not in my own strength, but in dependence upon thy Holy Spirit. O Lord, hear these things, I pray now, through our precious Saviour's name. Amen. Well, tonight I want to give us uh, the direction and where we're going so that you might have some idea of the passages that we're going to be traversing in the, and the subjects also in the prophecy of Habakkuk. I want to give you in this analysis here um, also a, a framework when a house is being built uh, and it does not have the uh, the cladding on the outside or the brickwork or the roof. The, the building has a framework and someone passing will look at the building. They will not know what the finished uh, article will look like, but they will know something of its shape and height and position from the framework. Or if you want to use another illustration, um, think of a body. Think of possibly the, the picture that is used in Ezekiel chapter 37. Think of a human body. I'm going to give you the framework now and throughout the time that the Lord has given to us this evening to put flesh on that, to put veins in that, to put organs in it so that you might be built up and get an understanding of the whole book. I have eight sections tonight. The first one is Habakkuk the man. Secondly, Habakkuk describes the time of the great tribulation. Thirdly, Habakkuk describes the moral character of Antichrist. Fourthly, Habakkuk describes the glorious millennium in a single verse on a glorious subject. Number five describes Habakkuk's events the events of the second advent. Number six, Habakkuk describes the second advent in more detail. Seven, describes the restoration of Israel. And eight, describes wonderful, glorious aspects of the millennium. So firstly, tonight we're wanting to look at Habakkuk the man. I think it's important that we look at Habakkuk the man. The Lord uses human instruments, as we shall see tonight in other circumstances. And it's good to get something of the idea of the individual who is the, the mouthpiece and the writer. Habakkuk, his name means to clasp or to embrace. I think about that for a moment. It takes us back in an illustration to Genesis and to Jacob and we remember that Jacob 
had a, a, an actual physical wrestling with the Lord. Habakkuk, his wrestling or his embracing of this truth is more spiritual. Um, but the two men greatly used of the Lord. The day in which Habakkuk lived was in the ascendancy of Babylon, taking us to the time of the beginning of the times of the Gentiles, mentioned in Daniel chapter 2, and the very first of these Gentile kingdoms, the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. Chapter 1 and chapter 3 remind us that he was a prophet, both a foreteller and a foreteller of the truth. This is what he claimed to be himself. He was one who saw visions. And he was an educated man, so he also wrote down these visions also. According to verse 19, the very last verse of Habakkuk, possibly he was a Levite and had been trained in these things. He was also a composer of Psalms, chapter 3 and verse 3. And also he was a watchman, chapter 2 and verse 1. Now, whether the, this was a, a literal watchman or just as a watchman who looks around, as we should do, to see the signs of the times, to see the character of the age of man and their turning away from the Lord to other things, turning away from the truth to error. So, he was a watchman. He was also a man with a burden. And a burden, uh, anyone who has a burden, has a weight. A burden is a weight. Um, many of you know of Pilgrim's Progress and the, the burden that was on um, Christian's shoulder for many a time until he was relieved of that burden at the cross. Habakkuk was such a man. He had a burden because the things that he saw, the things that he observed, the things that he beheld, the morality, the nature of things, the wickedness, the lack of judgment, the carelessness of the times and the lack of turning to the Lord, all these things grieved him to his heart. But he was a man, according to verse 2 of chapter 1, who was persistent in prayer. And he prayed fervently. He was a man that was concerned about a number of things. He was concerned about sin and wickedness and lawlessness, lack of justice. He was concerned about the lack of righteousness not only within the hearts of individuals, but within the heart of the nation itself. He was concerned that justice was perverted. So there was corruption in the nature of, uh, of the life of the nation and those who made the decisions, those who were the religious leaders and the judicial leaders were not doing these things in accordance with the word of God. Yet, 
He has a confidence in God. Look at verse 12 of chapter 1. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine Holy One? We shall not die. So he has a confidence rooted in the Lord and especially in the Lord's word given to him. Right, we're still considering Habakkuk the man. Um, he is one who willingly receives God's rebukes and reprovings. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what the Lord will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. No one likes discipline, chastisement, and for the time that it is administered and received and experienced, it's not good. But if we are the Lord's, then we should cherish his chastisements. It is a wonderful token of our adoption into the family of faith. Habakkuk was such a man. It seems also from chapter 3 that he had a relationship with music and with musicians. He was an, an emotional man, a very emotional man. In fact, you, we find two extremes. In chapter 3 and verse 2, we find at one end he has experienced fear and at the other end, in verse 18, he is rejoicing. So he's a man with uh, the whole range of emotions um, given to us in this illustration. There is also a wonderful autobiographical section in this passage. Only one verse, and turn with me to chapter 3, verse 16. When I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. So the Lord there, um, uh, and, and the Lord's word, gave to uh, this man uh, these experiences, these feelings, um, and he trusts in the Lord through these things. And of course, as you may well know, he is quoted in the New Testament. He is quoted by the writer to the Romans in chapter 1 in verse 7, quoted there. Also in the, from the author to Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 37 and 38. So, let us look now next at the message itself. That is the man... Habakkuk, now here is Habakkuk, the message. He describes the time of the Great Tribulation. In chapter 1, in those 17 verses, this chapter speaks broadly and gives details of evils in the lives of God's people at the time when Habakkuk actually lived. But it's also a foreshadowing of the Christendom 
just prior to our Lord's second advent. Now we have evidence of both of these from the passage. It's a message for Habakkuk's own time. Well, we find that in chapter 1 and verse 6, where it tells us there, For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the length and breadth of the land. But it's also a message for the end times. Look at chapter 2 and verse 3. For the vision, now the whole book is the vision. For the vision is for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak. Wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. So the prophecy here has a foreshadowing in Habakkuk's own day, but also a greater understanding of that which is yet to be at the end of this age. In verses 1 through 4, we have the first prayer of Habakkuk, which was the result of a vision and is full of questions. In verses 5 through 11, the answer from God to the prayer of Habakkuk, which God describes as God's means of chastisement and describes the inflictions that he is about to um, bring upon his people. However, he does this, and when the Lord's explanation here is more severe even than the things that Habakkuk had witnessed and experienced. In verses 12 through 17, we see the second prayer of Habakkuk, which is one of confidence, but bewilderment for him. Let us look at that first prayer of Habakkuk, which was possibly the result of a vision. And I believe it is a vision here. Um, I'm inclined to believe that. Um, it is not, if, if not, then he was a man who um, um, was a, an observer of the times by using his senses. Verse 1 and verse 3 tell us of the passage. He did see and the Lord showed me. As we mentioned earlier, the things that he saw were a burden to him. He was extremely grieved. It, but it seems that he would persevere. As I mentioned earlier in prayer, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry to you? He is persevering in prayer. The answer hasn't come immediately. So he is persevering in it. The sin described and the evil perpetrated by the people of God and described in both particular terms and general terms. In particular terms, it tells us that amongst the everyday, ordinary living in that society, he was witnessing violence, the spoiling of goods, strife between neighbours, friends, colleagues. There were contentions and the wicked were compassing the righteous. 
in general, he saw iniquity throughout. It seemed to prevail. Grievousness and wrong judgments. So he comes to the conclusion of all this in verse 4. Therefore the law is slackened and judgment doth never go forth. This is the age in which he is living in. But then the answer comes to Habakkuk. God reveals that he will bring a judgment upon the people. Notice in verses 5 and 6 there are those personal pronouns. Behold ye among the heathen and regard and wonder marvellously for I will work a work in your days which you will not believe though it be told you. For lo I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. What Habakkuk had witnessed was terrible. We're told that he, he grieved to his heart. But the answer that the Lord gives is even more grievous to Habakkuk. It seems that um, in Habakkuk's mind that God is going further than possibly he felt their sins deserved. However, when Habakkuk was observing the things all around them, he can only see the outward. The Lord sees the heart, because what proceeds from the heart are those evil things that are observed outwardly. The heart is most deceitful. And so the Lord's answer to the prayer of Habakkuk is not proportionate because he is in mercy doing great things, which we shall see in just a moment. The Lord is going to raise up a Gentile nation. He's going to use this as his instrument as he was using Habakkuk as an instrument to reveal good God's truth. Now, he is using a human instrument, the Chaldeans, Nebuchadnezzar, this first Gentile nation, to come and to discipline his people. And they come, as the description gives us there, in verses 6 through 10. They come bitter. They come hasty. They are dreadful. They are terrible. They come with violence. They come scoffing the God of the Hebrew people. The scriptures there are very graphic also in this passage because not as well as the characteristics of the people who are invading, it gives the nature of that invasion. It's going to be a marching. It's going to be a possession. It's going to be swift. It's going to be fierce. They're going to take, and it's comprehensive. Now we have here in this passage in chapter 1, a partial and contemporary foreshadowing in Israel. Because we have a contemporary nation mentioned in verse 6. We have conventional 
contemporary weapons mentioned in verses 6 and 7. We have the captivity which would eventually be the result of this mentioned in verse 9. So all these things give us an impression of things that were prevailing at that time. But everything here must always be understood according to chapter 2 and verse 3, which tell us there the vision is for an appointed time, the time of the end. So the lesser is included in the greater here. And we must understand that. There will be a full and future fulfilment within Christendom. The words used by Habakkuk in verse 5, by way of God's judgment, are used by the Apostle Paul. But when Paul quotes them in the New Testament, he uses it and applies it by way of mercy and grace. Now, I, I want you to turn to two passages now. It's the only two passages that we will be turning to this evening. The, the first one is in Acts chapter 13, verses 38 through 41. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Here's Habakkuk. Behold, ye despisers, and wonder and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. So we see in that passage that Paul there is preaching, and he's preaching the message that the Lord's people have to preach in this age, the gospel, repentance, forgiveness, faith. And we are reminded that where Paul received this message from was from the prophets, the prophets of the Old Testament. And we see there that Habakkuk, um, while using his message by way of denunciation, Paul is using it now in mercy. Now, with that in mind, turn with me to the Acts of the Apostles, just a few passages before we'll, the one that we just read, to chapter 3. And let us read a few verses in a very similar circumstance, but by another preacher, uh, Peter. In chapter 3, and verse 19, Peter begins there, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of the refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom heaven must receive until the times of the restitution of all things, which God hath before spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. And of course, as you know, that that has been the theme for uh, last year and this year, taking the prophets 
And we find from this passage of scripture that Peter tells us that the prophets in the Old Testament foretold our Lord's first coming and also his second coming and of associated events with both. And, and we see here now in this passage that the prophets, all of the prophets, had this wonderful privilege of doing this. That's why we have been looking at this over the past 18 months and will continue to do for the rest of this year. Because all of the prophets speak of our Lord's first advent and his second advent. And that is something that we must keep uppermost when we are looking at the prophets. Yes, we accept the contemporary situation in which the prophecies were given. We see in these as messages, foreshadowings of that which is yet to come. They are the small that reveal that there will be a greater. They are the minor which reveal that there will be a major fulfilment of these things. All the prophets. And this has been a great blessing to us as we have looked over these things. How many blessings people miss out by going to the prophets. And I think of here preachers and teachers, Bible commentators, college professors, who have gone to the prophets with preconceived ideas. Preconceived ideas of principles of interpretation, of, of understandings which are acceptable and those which are unacceptable. When all that we are asked to do as the Lord's people is just receive the word of God in all its fullness. Just receive it. Receive it and believe it. We looked at those two passages of scripture to say this thing, that at this moment in time, our Lord is in heaven. Heaven received him until the restitution or the restoration of all things. That is an event yet to happen. But at the moment, our Lord is in the heavens. And I think if you are to look at our passage in Habakkuk, um, that would be equated with the first uh, four uh, and five verses of chapter one. That is the age in which we are living in now. Heaven must receive until the times of refreshing from the Lord. And so we find that the answer from God to the prayer of Habakkuk is answered in this wonderful way. So the time period covered now by verses 6 through 11 are the period at the end of this age. It is this, a description of the great tribulation or in relation to Israel, Jacob's trouble. It is a description of Antichrist. 
And those things that we saw of the Chaldeans are equally true of Antichrist, but to a greater and more evil and more ambitious degree. Because although Nebuchadnezzar uh, initially was a godless man, um, Antichrist will be one who will be energised by evil, satanic, spiritual powers of darkness. That will make him a terrible individual, inhuman, a man who is a man of violence and who will do anything and everything to get his own way. We've seen that with some dictators in the world, some politicians, but he will be even more because he will have the wherewithal to bring these things to pass. Nothing will stop. Notice this vile person is mentioned in verse 11. In verses um, 6 through 10, you have the corporate used. Um, but in Habakkuk, in verse uh, um, 11, it comes to the singular now. Then shall his mind change, and he shall pass over and offend, imputing this to the power of his God. And we know who, who his God with a small g is. It is the prince of the power of darkness. It's a terrible picture there in those verses. But Habakkuk is able to put it into perspective. Look at verse 12 of chapter 1. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, mine Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment, and O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. He sees the necessity of chastisement, correction, but he sees that in judgment, as it always is with the Lord, in judgment there is mercy and great mercy. He takes great confidence in this. Habakkuk also gives a symbolic illustration of the Antichrist in verse 14. Um, maybe we could look at that verse. And makest men as the fishes of the sea, as the creeping things that have no ruler over them. In some animal parts of the world, where there are um, tribes of, for example, let's say gorillas, there is a recognised leader. Even amongst elephants, there is a recognised leader of the group. With fish, we don't see this. They swim about in shoals. And we have here a picture of people at the end of the age, um, toing and froing, doing this and doing that, heedless of the world of God, heedless to the need of their own soul to be cared for. It's a, it's a terrible time. 
and that vacuum will be filled by this Antichrist who will come and use his power and his authority to gather these people to himself. Look at the wonderful illustration that the Lord gives in his book of pictures. Verse 15, they take up all of them with the angle. They catch them in their net. They gather them in their drag. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. People who have no God, who do not have the Lord Jesus Christ, who have no convictions, will be easily led, easily swayed and persuaded to receive Antichrist as a marvellous, wonderful human being who will solve all of their problems. That brings us on to the character of this man now. Thirdly, we look at Habakkuk describing the moral character of the Antichrist. And you could look upon this as being the 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 message of chapter 2. Look at the time reference once again. It has to be reminded that this is how we should look upon this book of scripture. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. So it is for the end time. And in the end time, it will make more sense, especially to those who are familiar with the prophecies of the scriptures, because it's for the end time. It will be a long time in coming, we are told. And patience will be required. Watching, waiting, looking at the signs of the times. Comparing everything that we see in the light of scripture. We will see it. And more and more as that day comes nearer. And then we're told that there is a divine certainty to you here it will come god gives the conclusion to this he gives the certainty to it now let's look at the character of this um, vile person we see it described in verses 5 through 20 in five different ways in verses 5 through 8 we see that he has intemperate desires. He is a man that is motivated by pride, self-pride, confidence in himself, confidence in what he can do, confidence in what he can achieve that will characterise him. Secondly, in verses 9 through 11, he has inordinate ambitions. He's covetous. Nothing is sufficient for him. He wants more and more and more. Thirdly, in verses 12 through 14, he inflicts inhuman oppression. Outwardly, 
he may seem to be the answer to the problems, whether they be religious, political, whatever they are. He is the man that can solve these things. But he will do this through inhuman means. He will bring a time of great tribulation. Notice the Lord didn't say in Matthew 24, a time of tribulation. It was a time of great tribulation. It was a time when evil will be totally unrestrained. Fourthly, he has inexcusable immorality. Just look at the end of maybe verse 17 to give us an idea of that. And for the violence of the land and of the city and of all that dwell therein. We've been briefed through these, but these will give you an idea of the evil nature of this individual. Of course, at the end, we find that fifthly, in verses 18 through 19, he is an idolatrous worshipper because he worships the God of men. He worships the God of wickedness. He worships his own father, the powers of darkness. And these will be totally unleashed at this time. I exhort you to look through those verses and to see the character and the nature of this individual, that he is totally unrestrained and that these five sections in the second chapter give us a brief glimpse and add to the other passages in scripture that speak of this individual, a careless one. But then we see God has judgments on these insatiable desires. In verses 6 through 8, pride will be rewarded with strife and contentions. You just have to look at the book of Daniel, chapter 11, to see that there will be strifes there during that time. Temporal, divine inflictions given by the Lord to thwart this individual. In verses 9 through 11, ambition will be rewarded ultimately by extinction, by the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ in glory and in majesty, taking vengeance upon his enemies. Thirdly, Antichrist will be totally unsatisfied. In verses 12 through 14, people indulge in inexcusable immorality and you can see it defined in those verses 15 through 17 and still and still they're not happy they want more and more and we will see this at the end of the age but then the Lord ultimately gives the dissatisfaction to them and in verse 19 his idols will eventually fail him. But ultimately, at the end of this second week, sorry, this last week of 
Daniel's 70 weeks in the last three and a half weeks sorry, the last three and a half years then we will see these evils in such an unbridled manner dealt with by the Lord look at verse 20 but the Lord is in his holy temple that's where our Lord is at the moment that's the temple in heaven I believe but he will not remain there he will remain there until the time of his second advent till the time of restoration of all things until the time when the earth will be changed That brings us on to number four. Habakkuk describes the glorious millennium, but in a single aspect. I thought I could not go without giving some consideration to verse 14. In the midst of all these evils that we see that will characterise the wicked one, the Lord gives us a wonderful ray of glorious hope. Look at verse 14 of chapter 2. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Light in the midst of a dark place. This is the future promise of the time of the end. It is a promise given to us by the Lord himself. It is in the character of a glorious promise. Now, I want to do just a little comparison here because there is another scripture that speaks about knowledge and at the end time. And that's found in the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 14, where, and I quote, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge will be increased. We really need to rightly divide the word of God and put these two seemingly similar scriptures into their correct context and era. The period that Daniel is speaking of is the age that we've just considered. The end of Daniel's last week, the last three and a half years before our Lord returns to this earth. So, We've seen it in connection with the Antichrist. Here it is, it is in connection with the world at large. Um, this period, however, of increased knowledge, increased wisdom, increased understanding, the accumulation of encyclopedic knowledge from the beginning of time unto that time is there. But that end, that age, ends in chaos, wars, delusions, deceptions, lies, the Ten Kingdom Confederacy and the Antichrist. This is what knowledge, human knowledge, is leading us to. It's leading us to this terrible, godless time. It is the, at the end of the age of man's rule. People running about frantically, fearfully. It will be an age when Antichrist will 
do as he pleases according to his own understanding. But knowledge is going to be increased. However, it is not knowledge of God. In fact, it is knowledge away from God. This accumulated knowledge is away from God. When the Lord comes back, it's not going to be a converted earth. It is a world of darkness, apostasy, compromise, federations of evil. The knowledge which has increased is of anything and anything except of the knowledge of God. Just think about it for a moment. That gadget that you have in your pocket at this moment in time or sitting in front of you or near to your hand. You can look up through that mobile phone on the most obscure subjects and locations in the world and you will be given details and sometimes endless details that you sometimes do not want to even pursue that far. Knowledge is increased. But this knowledge which is increased is away from God. This knowledge that is coming is going to put, going to call truth, error, going to call right, wrong, going to call light, darkness, going to call night, morning, and vice versa. But look at the marked contrast. Let us read again chapter 2 verse 14. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is after man's day. This is after the second advent. This is a time of millennial glories where we shall see the beginnings of this, the, the knowledge that covers the earth. It is promised for the whole earth, not just for a part of it. Otherwise, the illustration of the waters covering the sea, uh, covering the earth, would, would be meaningless. It is for the whole earth. It will be a filling by God through his servants, converted Israel, who bring the glad tidings from Jerusalem, from Israel, into all the parts of the world. Satan will be bound, and the gospel will go forth, and the glad tidings unto the furthest reaches of the earth. Greater evangelism, greater missionary work, revivals, awakenings, better than any that have ever been before. We do not despise those that have gone before. We praise the Lord for them. But they are meagre in comparison to that age in which the knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth. It will be a filling that will begin after the night of darkness and go into the morning. It will be a progressive knowledge. Israel first will experience that when it tells us that the deliverer will come out of Zion and they shall look upon him whom they have pierced and 
a nation, the remnant of that nation that is left, will be converted. They will look upon him whom they have pierced. They will mourn and they will believe their Messiah has come. They who are the first recipients will go out and be the missionaries that others will receive also unto the furthest reaches of the earth. What a day. What a time that will be. It will begin gradually and it will spread. And it will spread extensively. It will extend to earth's remotest end. It will be knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Not of that other one that we described a few moments ago. It will be knowledge of the Lord. It will be knowledge of the glory of the Lord. People will know his nature, his work, his son, his spirit, his truth, his salvation, his purposes, his will, his love, his mercy, God's ways. These will go out and unhindered, unhindered. And it will not just be a blessing to individuals. It will be a blessing not just to families, not just to communities, but it will be nationally. The word of the, God, the Lord will go to nations and nations, many of which will receive the glorious truth of the word of God. Even those who only receive it feignedly will nonetheless know of the knowledge of the Lord. They will know of his glorious attributes, his wonderful works and his glorious ways. They will be in no doubt so that all the world will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It will be a changed world in which God's righteous Redeemer, Christ Jesus our Lord, rules and reigns in righteousness. And it will be extended in length, in breadth, in depth of understanding. There will not be the shallowness that there is now. There will be depth of belief, depths of understanding. People will plummet the glories of mercy and grace of God in a way never experienced before. But we must move on. Section 5, Habakkuk describes the events of the second advent. And now we're turning to chapter 3 now. This passage directs our minds chiefly to the effects of the manifestation of the glory of God upon the nations of the earth in general. I would remind you once again that chapter 3 must be understood in the light of chapter 2 and verse 3, that this vision is for the appointed time. And we're now thinking of our Lord's second advent. It is a time when the Lord will drive asunder the nations. Let me just choose out a verse here. There's four verses we could choose. Let's look at verse 12. 
Thou didst march through the land in, the, in, in indignation. Thou didst thresh the heathen in anger. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people. It is a time of tectonic activity. In verse 6, he stood and measured the earth, beheld and drove asunder the nations. The everlasting mountains were scattered, the perpetual hills all bowed. It will be a time also when there will be great astral activity. Look at verse 11, reminds us then again of chapter um, 24 of Matthew, verses 29 and following. The sun and moon shall st stood still in their habitation at the light of thine arrows and went and the shining of the glittering spear. Very symbolic in parts, very literal in other parts. And we see here the wonderful for, um, foreshadowing, uh, fulfilling, sorry, fulfilment of our Lord's second advent. He was in the heavens. The heavens must receive him. He was at the right hand. He will come back in glory and do these things. It is a time when the Lord rides upon his chariots of salvation. Look at verse 8. Ah, was the Lord displeased against the rivers? Was thine anger against the rivers? Was thy wrath against the sea? And thou didst ride upon thine horses and the chariots. Look at the language. It's, it's descriptive of our Lord's second advent. Uh, more descriptive, more picturesque than, than that which we find in the New Testament. But nonetheless, the, second, uh, the, the same advent is described in this language. It is called the day of trouble in verse 16. Well, it will be for those who are the unbelieving and to the enemies of our Lord and of his anointed. It is clearly the day of Messiah. Look at verse 13. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people, even for the salvation with thine anointed, with thine anointed, with Christ. So we see here these wonderful passages revealing to us the glorious second advent of our Lord. We know that this will be in the future. We know that Habakkuk did experience this in his own contemporary setting with Nebuchadnezzar. We know that he experienced the time when the Chaldeans came in and there was the chastisement. But he did not experience the glories that he describes in chapter 3 because that is yet future. That is yet what he, uh, what he looked forward to. He may not quite have understood it, but he believed it. The after effects of this is tremendous. Look at verse 17. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit be in the vines, the labour of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. That was what 
Habakkuk experienced in his time. But when the Lord comes back, there will be the restoration, the change in the creation of the earth. And all those things that Habakkuk experienced in his contemporary setting, what the Lord's people will experience in the future will be the restoration of all these things. A time of joy, time of peace, time of fruitfulness. A time when the labour will be easier than it is at present. Sixthly, Habakkuk describes the second advent more fully. It is the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3 at the beginning of the verse. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. Glorious, wonderful, picturesque description of the second advent. The Holy One will come. His glory will be in the heavens and his brightness will lighten the earth. Horns coming out of his hands. There was the hiding of his power. There will be the astral signs that we saw in verse 11. Before him will be the pestilence. After him, coals of fire. He will measure the earth. And he has found it wanting. It is the coming of Messiah that we find. And the final overthrow of his enemies. Look at verse 13 of the passage. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people, that we've read, even for the salvation with thine anointed, thou woundest the head of the house of the wicked by discovering the fountain unto the neck. He will discover the house of the wicked one and he will be destroyed by the Lord's appearing and his glory. Verse 6, he will drive the nations asunder. He will break the tents of affliction. He will deal with his enemies and deal with all the enemies of his people. According to the oaths of the tribes, he will do this. Oh, we see here a wonderful and glorious time when the Lord will strike through and do marvellous things at his second advent. Our seventh aspect is Habakkuk describes the restoration of Israel. And we will just look at this briefly here. He came to deliver them from their enemies. Verse 15 and verse 19. He came, as we have read a number of times there, in, chap in verse 13 of chapter 3, he came for the salvation of his people. And as we know from the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, he will come and it will be a national salvation. And it will be a salvation produced by the Lord himself, according to verse 17. Number eight, Habakkuk describes the millennium. Now we've seen one aspect of it already 
concerning the knowledge of the Lord covering the whole earth. But then we shall see a time of national rejoicing. Verse 14. Look at that verse there. Thou didst strike through with the staves, the head of his villages. They came out as a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was as to devour the poor secretly. There will be rejoicing. Rejoicing that the Lord deals with their enemies and with his enemies. There will be a time of judicial judgment dealt with in verse 15. The Lord himself will be Messiah and King in that day. Thou didst walk through the sea and with thine horses through the heap of great waters. The Lord will literally be in the midst of the nation. He will be in the midst of his people, redeemed after their time of mourning and drawn to him. Verse 16 says, no more fear. God will look towards his people in that glorious way that we expect. In verse 17, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit be in the vines, the labour of the olive shall fail and the field shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut from the fold and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. We see the feelings of the Lord towards his people, the feelings of the people towards their God. Now, we have traversed this passage here in Habakkuk, the three chapters. We have given um, some details of things that will yet come to pass, things that we should be warned of, things that we should expect, things that we should look for. We see the seeds of these things now, especially in the wickedness that is being spread throughout the world. The compromises, the compromises in the church. The church has given up her wonderful and glorious liberty that she had to be now in bondage to error and unbelief. We've seen also that what characterises the end of this age and how we must be clearly separate from these things. We've been warned here by Habakkuk this evening. We have been guided and directed by the Lord through his servant tenderly to know these things and to believe these things. We've seen the character of the wicked one, which we see in a small way in people in this world today who have turned their backs upon God, who have turned the truth about God and the, the morality that the Lord has given to us and we see it now flaunted in this world. We see the nature of this age in which it brings together all things. Things that are religious, things that are political, things that are social, things that are national, things which are international, 
and they mix and mingle these things together and very cleverly leave God out of the situation. There's no room for God in this. We are to be people of convictions. We are to be people who know the Lord and love the Lord. We are to be people who are to be aware that these things are coming to pass. We are to watch and wait. Well, we've seen a lot tonight. We've covered a lot, some in detail, some in less detail. And we have seen that those things must surely come to pass. Let us just close with that verse 3 in our ears of chapter 2. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak. Thank the Lord for that. At the end it will speak. And not lie, because God is not the author of lies. Though it tarry, wait for it. Be patient, because it will surely come, because the Lord has given to us this promise. Let us bow in prayer. Almighty Lord, we thank you this evening that you have given to us all these great and wonderful truths from the Word of God. We pray, Lord, that you would be pleased to relay these to others through the weakness of the teacher and that these suggestions, these thoughts might be pursued more and more by the people of God so that we might indeed seek to fulfil that passage of scripture which we've just read, that they might speak to us at the end. Oh Lord, help us to be more clear in our thinking. Help us, Lord, that thou might be blessed in our lives, that thou might be blessed in, in the things that we say, that thou might be uplifted, that thou might be honoured, that thou might be magnified. Lord, bless these things. This evening, we pray. Amen. We want to thank the Lord's servant uh, sincerely. We thank him on behalf of our committee for undertaking the engagement tonight. We thank him for preparing uh, the video. We're conscious of all the time and challenges that are involved in that. We appreciate uh, all the study that has gone into uh, the preparation of uh, the message, the time, and the labors. And we want to thank him for the word uh, that he has brought how he has set before us the life and ministry of the Lord's servant, how he's opened up this portion uh, to us. Uh, we can say that uh, we've known the Lord's help and blessing uh, upon uh, the study of the Lord's word uh, tonight. The closing hymn uh, for our service is On the Happy Golden Shore, where the faithful part no more when the storms of life are o'er, uh, meet me there. I want to emphasize that. If there's any without Christ listening to this broadcast, we'd like you to meet us in heaven, in the land that is fairer than day. Remember, you can only do that if you're saved, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've turned from your sins and put your trust in him. So we want to challenge you with that vital matter. Remember, there's nothing more important in this world than be able to testify that you're saved by the grace of God. So the closing hymn then on the happy golden shore.
just going to take a moment or two to lift our hearts to the Lord in prayer as we close the gathering and we commit all that has taken place into the Lord's hands. Uh, We know that we need his blessing. We need the Lord to prosper uh, all that has taken place. Let's just lift our hearts to the Lord again in prayer. Father, we seek thee at the close of our service. We do thank you that you have been with us. We can say we've known your presence. We've experienced your help. We praise thee again for your faithfulness uh, right throughout this meeting, throughout this uh, broadcast. We pray, Father, that you'll, you'll be pleased to put your hand upon it as it goes forth. And we pray that all that hear this broadcast, uh, both uh, on this evening as it goes out and as others will listen to it in the future, we pray it'll be a help and a profit to them. Lord, we want to pray that you'll use these broadcasts uh, mightily and widely. Our desire, Father, is in these days that you'll, you'll turn uh, the people of God again to thyself. We want to pray, Father, that you'll bring your people back uh, to the Bible, uh, back to the reading and the study of your word. And Lord, we want to pray that you'll bring even our land uh, back again, uh, the keeping of thy law. We remember that, ex- that righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach uh, to, to any people. So we ask the Lord to hear our cries, and we just simply pray that you'll bless very clearly, prosper very definitely, uh, all that has taken place tonight. Uh, we ask the Father to remember all that have heard this broadcast, every home and family, uh, the varying needs, the varying circumstances, draw near to each one. We pray that you'll meet the need of your people. We pray that you'll encourage your people, strengthen their hands in these days, uh, and use them even to the furtherance of your kingdom. So answer these are prayers. And now we ask that you'll part us in thy fear and with thy favor. And may the blessing of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be our abiding portion, we ask, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.